Hello, everyone, and welcome to the She Wolf podcast. I am Devonie Amber Wolf, and this is the fourth episode of the Chronic Illness, Ableism, and New Age Spirituality series, where we have been discussing the confluence of these things and how ableism and New Age spirituality negatively impacts chronically ill people. And in this episode, we're going to be covering another aspect of this, which is medical gaslighting, something that uh, many of us, uh, if not most of us, if not all of us to some degree, have unfortunately experienced as part of being chronically ill. And this can happen through the Western medical model and alternative practices. It truly can lurk anywhere. I've personally been dismissed by GPs and neuropathic doctors alike. And as many of us who are in the chronic illness zone will know, it really depends on the personality that you're encountering, right? It's pretty much the same thing as getting a representative from a corporation on the phone. At least this is how I think about it these days. One person can't help you because, you know, them's the rules. But then another person listening to your exact same problem can help you. So what were those rules exactly? Or did that representative just not want to help me? You really have to wonder. And the same goes for the medical establishment. Some folks get into being medical doctors, naturopaths, specialists, etc. because their family pushed them or because they're power hungry, or because they like the idea of money. And I mean, of course, that's not all doctors. Some are good ones, hashtag not all doctors. But some, you can tell, do not have your best interests at heart at all. And if you're a woman, it very much seems like most don't. And if you're part of any minority, especially if you're a black or an indigenous woman, you're going to have an even harder time being listened to because them's the ableist rules, how we've so cruelly made them. So why is this? Well, I think we can easily hearken back to discussing the structure and motivation of ableism and how ultimately, even if women can and do fit into the ideological model of the idealized body, the foundation of ableism is male-centric. And as we've discussed in the Neurodivergent podcast series, for example, the work month at nearly every job out there over the history of time has not had paid menstrual leave. Plenty of people with uteruses have at least one agonizing day a month. Many have more. Hormones can be brutal, right? So you'd think that if this ableist mindset was hellbent on including women or anyone that bleeds, it would, but it doesn't. Female hormones fluctuate greatly throughout a month, and if it were up to us, our productivity would be in symbiosis with our moon phase. And of course, off and on for decades, we've had our abortion rights on the chopping block, as we do right now, threatened to be taken away or outrightly taken away. As someone so astutely observed, you cannot be forced to donate blood or marrow or organs, even though thousands die every year on waiting lists. They cannot even harvest your organs after your death without your explicit, written, pre-mortem permission. Denying women of the right to abortion means we have less bodily autonomy than a corpse. So with those two examples alone, we can see how male-centric, how patriarchal these rules of freedom and conduct are. The quote-unquote hysteria argument for why women complain about their health 
used to be far more prevalent, sure. We used to be institutionalized as a rule if men deemed us to be a little off. But given things like abortion rights, how far in the past is this general mindset? And when it comes to chronic health, it exists today, except it has taken the form of anxiety instead of hysteria, or it's just all in her head. And we may not be institutionalized for expressing ourselves, but we are certainly dismissed often with some sort of tranquilizer. And even if anxiety is part of the process, because I mean, who wouldn't be anxious if they were in a shit ton of pain or had a bunch of bizarre, unexplained symptoms? If you answer yes to the question, do you feel anxious? Or if the doctor even perceives it in you, and I swear to God, they can smell it. The automatic bear trap clamps down on anxiety. It's like a stamp on your forehead. You know, and the prescription that we're given is assumed to cure all that worry wart brain and poof all the rest of the symptoms, which were all in the woman's head anyway, will be gone. It's a form of magical thinking, which is rooted in dismissal, disrespect, and gaslighting. Many people who go through this system time and time again, seeking answers, seeking a diagnosis, are dismissed and gaslit so many times that they have medical trauma. It becomes harder and harder to enter doctor's offices and hospitals, knowing that your symptoms will not be taken seriously. Many of us who have been in this sphere have had to become our own advocates because you soon realize that these people who are supposed to be experts, who are supposed to be helping, they're supposed to be on your side and advocating for you are not. And to add even more of a sting, many female doctors will treat you just the same way. It's almost as though they've had to become hardened in order to navigate the difficult gauntlet of medical school residency and onward. But as a patient who is hoping for more gentleness and understanding from a fellow woman, it's even more shocking to be dismissed by her. And then there's the problem that many of our chronic ailments are rare or difficult to diagnose because diagnosis is a process of exclusion, meaning that countless blood tests, imaging tests, and run-ins with many doctors of many kinds along the way, all of whom will have different temperaments and desires to help you. And after all is said and done, whatever tests your doctor has allowed you to do, your blood work, your imaging tests, they may look totally normal, yet you're still sick. And so the diagnosis of it's all in her head and she's just anxious may become an impenetrable wall. And it may mount up in their own minds that this is all this person is dealing with. So where do you turn after that? Of course, many turn to naturopathy, functional medicine, neither of which generally are problematic at all. Eastern medicine has much value too, and herbs are friends and allies as additional support in hard times. My personal opinion is, as long as the root cause of the issue is being investigated and actually dealt with, it's really up to you what you feel comfortable with as medication or therapy. Some folks do not fuck with pharmaceuticals, and I can completely understand that in a lot of cases. Uh, plenty of neurodivergent people and highly sensitive people, for example, have trouble with pharma meds, so gentler support may, may be the way to go. But this is the crux, right? 
as long as the root cause is actually being dealt with. Do your herbs, your supplements, and other therapies fully help you heal or something stronger really necessary? And as we've been parsing out, the root cause of an illness or illnesses is always going to be a confluence of factors. It's never going to be just one thing. Often it is a cascade or a domino effect, and it does include the mind and emotions as well as the body. But in our desperation to find answers with the road possibly blocked to Western medicine, or in the case that we've gone down the road of Western medicine and it hasn't helped us, we may in turn seek those answers in pseudoscience and in healing modalities that are rooted in modern spirituality. Especially when desperate, people will turn to whatever seems promising and empowering. Alternative medicine and New Age spirituality does this with precision and the illusion of grace. When we are chronically ill, part of what really gets a lot of us down is that we feel like our bodies have failed us, or even worse, have turned against us. The way that autoimmunity, for example, is discussed seems to suggest this. The immune system attacking healthy tissues, essentially battling with itself. Surely people can and do create metaphors and meaning out of this. And again, as we've been outlining, the process is nuanced and does include our stress, trauma, and any abuse we may have incurred. Autoimmunity and any chronic illness is more likely to happen if one is stressed in a long-term way. So we may already be lamenting a life once lived, where we may have gone wrong, what we may have done wrong, or not enough of to get us here, we may blame our bodies for giving up on us. So this heavenly gateway that opens up before us with new age spirituality illuminates an untapped resource, a solution that has not yet been sought, which is maybe you're sick because you want to be deep down. Maybe it's subconscious. Maybe you're sick because you don't love yourself enough. Maybe subconsciously, you are choosing this path. Maybe you fucked up your body because you cannot manage your emotions. Maybe, just maybe, it's because of what you believe to be true. And because oftentimes New Agers believe that everything happens for a reason, then your illness must be because you're doing something wrong and you have to take more personal responsibility. Their reason often lies in the realm of personal responsibility. And their supposed skill is that they've done it, they've figured it out, and they've transcended it. They're fully healed, and they can be your leader. As always, there are scales of severity when it comes to this kind of thinking. Some claims are more nefarious than others. And some new agey mentalities sneak into otherwise universally recognized healing modalities. I once had a naturopath tell me through a Zoom call during our second ever appointment, meaning we had never met in person and she had never physically examined me, that my numerous debilitating nervous system symptoms could not be X, Y, or Z. They could not be legitimate illnesses. Instead, she could tell over Zoom that I don't breathe correctly. She went on to say that she had another client with my symptoms who had claimed he managed all of them by meditating three to four hours a day. She emphasized how much effort he placed into this endeavor, seemingly as so I should do that too. And 
She emphasized how long it took him to master it, but he did. Indeed, he did. And after our Zoom call, I literally flipped our dining room table out of pure rage, went into my bedroom and cried. It was one of the lowest points in my journey. I felt desperate. I really, really needed answers. So why would new agers want you to take more personal responsibility for your illness? Why would they give a shit? Well, it usually stems from a very personal experience that has taken root in the ego and grown a few sizes. It's also rooted in having some sort of form of privilege that creates a sense of entitlement and onus to spread their message. Healers don't just decide to become healers with zero impetus. Most of the time, these people have had near-death experiences or health scare or spiritual awakening of their own that leaves them glowing with a message from the divine source that they feel called to share. They're typically very impressed with themselves for having beaten the odds, beaten back death, triumphed over the medical establishment and their run-of-the-mill treatment options. If God or source or spirit came through them in any way, if their healing was in any way miraculous, they, at least in part, take credit for it. They then offer the same potential blessing to you. And since you're desperate and have tried conventional methods, This avenue is novel, and it comes with a lot of promise. We may think, if only I take full responsibility for having gotten myself here, I can get myself out. And even just as a bystander, one can probably see how this would seem quite empowering, right? After all, when we go to therapy or have other types of breakthroughs and work on our healing process, in other parts of our lives, we do feel joyful and empowered and encouraged by that. For some, it only seems to make sense that this leveled up responsibility could bleed over into fully healing illness. And again, it's not that taking personal responsibility is a bad thing whatsoever. It's not that you can't help your situation by calming your mind and your nervous system down. Mindfulness and other relaxation techniques are wonderful. I'm in no way discounting the power of thought and the power of the mind, but there is a huge, huge difference between belief systems helping your situation and belief systems all out curing your situation. You can be as positive, as mindful as possible. You can eat the healthiest foods, have wonderful, perfect boundaries, all the loved ones that you could ever want, great work-life balance, and if the cascade of illness has happened in your body, you cannot will it out of existence with good vibes alone. And you cannot develop an illness through belief systems alone. These binary magical ways of thinking are super dangerous. And ultimately, they are ableist because they assume that they can somehow beat away illness and so-called weakness just by being an enlightened, charmed human being. But it's false, it's privileged, and it's rooted in illusion. Everyone's body fails them at some point, even the most enlightened monks. In my humble opinion, the most enlightened thing we can actually do is accept our finitude and prepare for the inevitability of illness and death with dedication. Now, of course, not all death fears are ableist. Some are just there. 
A few years ago, before my own illness took hold, I was meditating on my death regularly. When I spoke about it to one of my younger friends, he reacted with uncharacteristic anger. He was simply appalled that I would do such a thing with my time. He called it a waste of time. He kept saying, but you're alive now. Why would you do that? Just enjoy being alive. And when I tried to explain to him that this meditation was part of feeling more alive and appreciating the body that I'm in, that I won't be in forever, he just shook his head and left the room. I had shaken him up. Death shakes us up. So much so that we push away our disabled, chronically ill and elderly to the sidelines so that we don't have to see it. But for those who are in our chronically ill lives, who do not treat us like we have the plague, there's a whole world of sweetness and tenderness. There's a whole universe of clarity and depth, existential and otherwise. We may be sick, but we haven't fully lost ourselves. In some cases, we've gained things. And there's much inside of this dimension that we live in that we'd like for you to know. So that, my friends, is what we will be covering in the next and final episode of this limited series. As always, thank you so much for listening and thank you for being a part of this journey. If you feel called to, please leave me a star rating and a review if the platform allows, because it helps with visibility. Until next time, love and wolves. See you soon.